0: Pastor Jonathan, thank you. Thank you, First Baptist Church of Walnut Valley, for just your warm invitation, for welcoming me, welcoming my family. Elizabeth, can you stand up? Here's my wife of 23 years, Elizabeth, and my beautiful daughter, who's 16, just turned 16. Shelly is here. Stand up. She's a sophomore in high school and a pole vaulter, a pole vaulter. And then Corinne, my 7 year old is back with the kids. I have two adult daughters who are off the payroll. Someone say, praise God. <laughs> and they're off doing, doing their thing uh, uh, outside of the home. So I'm so grateful once again to, ha- to be here. Uh, once again, I'm Courtney Coates. I am the chief legal officer and senior vice president of the Baptist Foundation of California. And we exist, the Baptist Foundation exists, to raise, manage, and distribute resources for kingdom causes. Amen. That's what we do. Our mission is to resource the Great Commission. You know the Great Commission, don't you? Matthew 28 and 19, what does it say? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that I commanded you to do. We partner with churches. We partner with faith-based institutions like CBU and Gateway Seminary, and our goal is to, reach as many people as we can within this state with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. How many are glad to know Jesus? Oh, I know him. And you may not know me that well because we just met, but we have one thing in common. We stand in agreement that Jesus is Lord. He saved us. He brought us out of the pit, as as the song said, and placed us on a solid rock, which is Christ And for that, we should be grateful. So if you don't mind, I'd like to just spend a few moments with you today, spend the day with you. We're going to do an estate planning seminar after this is all over, we'll talk a little bit more about what the foundation does. But if I could just be myself today, do I have permission to be myself today? I just want to share a word with you. You know, we were on our way uh, here. We said we're going to get here 30 minutes before um, uh, 1030, so we're going to get here at 10 o'clock, and ran into some detours because the 91 West was shut down for maintenance and repairs. And I was so frustrated. I said, Lord, I should have just drove up the night before. Sometimes I just drive up the night before. But the Lord began to speak to me in my quiet frustration. (laughs) And he tends to do that, doesn't he? He said, Courtney, I'm taking you on these detours because you've been on detours over the course of your life. And every detour that you were on, I, I sent you a sign to redirect you back to me. I gave you a sign to redirect you back to me time and time again. I was patient with you. I loved you. I said, thank you, Lord. Maybe there's someone here today. You're on a detour. You've been on detours in life. You're in the right place at the right time to acknowledge who Christ is in your life today, to know that he is Lord of your life, that he knows just where you are and he has positioned you for such a time as this to redirect your heart to him. Amen. 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 We're going to talk today, not about that. We're going to talk today about biblical stewardship. That's what we're called to be biblical stewards. Pastor Jonathan has invited me and been so gracious to allow me to share the pulpit today. We're going to speak from the subject of giving God our best. Giving God our best. How many want to make the Lord smile and say, I'm pleased with our giving? We're going to talk today about what God has to say about our heart posture in this principle of giving found in the gospel according to Mark, chapter 12. The gospel according to Mark, chapter 12, beginning at verses 41 through 44, we're going to skip around and we're going to tie some scriptures together to have more of a comprehensive assessment of what God has to say about this principle of giving, but we're going to look at this poor Jewish widow, her heart posture, and see how Jesus made a teachable moment out of this for his disciples, not only those that were there, but for you and me to understand what God has to say about Biblical stewardship in the life of believer. You know, as we explore God's principle of giving, we must first understand that we cannot possibly outgive God. We can't outgive him. For God so loved the world. What is it, John 3:16? You know this. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. When God gave us Jesus, he modeled for us how to give wholeheartedly, to give his very best. So let's look at uh, the gospel according to Mark, chapter 12. Let's examine what this scripture has to say. And the word of God reads, and he... Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and began observing just how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amounted to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly, I say to you. This poor widow put in more than all of the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Pray with me this prayer. Father, we say thank you for your word today. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Would you speak to us now as only you can? We invite you into our hearts today. Let your word penetrate and cause us to walk in the direction you would have us to walk. We thank you now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and give thanks. Amen. As I said, my brothers and sisters, by giving Jesus, he gave all of himself to us, for God was in Christ reconciling the world into himself. The fullness of the Godhead dwelled in Christ Jesus. When God gave Jesus to us, he showed us the level of giving, the heart posture, and how we should give in our daily lives. Even in this pandemic and this worldwide turmoil that we've seen over the course of these several years, God has been faithful, has he not? He continues to to supply each and every one of our needs. His mercy has been renewed daily in our lives. And for that, he deserves all glory, all honor, and all praise. And if there ever was a need to give, give and share the hope of Christ with others, it is here and now. Pastor Jonathan asked me to come and share a few principles about biblical stewardship of our time and our talents and our treasures. And I want to let you, know, let you in on a little secret today. God owns it all. He owns our time, our talents, and our treasures. And he wants us to be good stewards, managers of all that he has blessed us with. Uh, King David was a man after God's own heart, was he not? In the 24th Psalm, he put it like this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all, Who live in it? This is the king who owned cattle upon a thousand hills. He had wealth and popularity and spheres of influence, but he put his role as a steward in proper context. Apostle Peter put it like this in 1 Peter 4 and 10 As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards. Of the manifold grace of God. How many here today are beneficiaries of God's grace and God's mercy? He has blessed us in a multiplicity of ways. In our relationships, in our finances, in our talents and skills. We are simply managers, not owners of God's gifts. And as we surrender our hearts to the Lord more and more, we put God in his proper place. We understand that God created and owns everything. He's no longer next to the NFL, Sports Illustrated, those other things that we spend our time meditating on. And as we grow, we will find ourselves more willing to relinquish those most precious things we have to offer God. Our transformation to be more like Christ is an endeavor to give and to sacrifice just like Jesus gave and sacrificed for the praise and glory of God. Not our will, but his will be done. And so the widow's mite narrative in Mark 12 is a proper illustration of what God is calling for in the heart of a believer. Mark 12 is preceded by Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler in Mark 10. You may remember this narrative where The rich young ruler is imploring Jesus to give him the kingdom of God, allow him to inherit eternal life. He says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother and He said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But as we see here, this rich young ruler became sad, disheartened, went away grieving for he was He was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. You see, what we learn here is this rich young ruler's heart was exposed. This man's heart was exposed. He had done everything right from his youth up, but he could not depart from his wealth. It's often said, my brothers and sisters, that the last thing that gets surrendered to God when we accept him as Lord and Savior, the last thing that gets saved, the last thing that gets rejuvenated, regenerated, gets born again, is what? Our wallet. Our money. It's that last stubborn thing that we choose to hold back from God. Say, Lord, you can be Lord over every other area of my life. But this area of finance, Lord, I want to still control that. But how many know that the Lord wants to be Lord over everything in our lives? He wants to have preeminence in all things. Amen. Amen. And through the discipline of giving, God wants to expose, just like this rich, rich young ruler was exposed, he wants to expose the idols Of our heart, this is a window into our heart when it comes to to giving. What we are unwilling to part with in order to put God in his proper place. Following Christ and making him Lord exposes anything and everything that we are willing to put before serving him. Giving is our truest essence of worship. But you want to know what truly impresses God? Not the amount of the gift, the size of the gift. But what impresses God is giving God our whole hearts. What is the best gift that causes God to smile and say, I'm pleased? It's our hearts, belonging fully and completely to him. So today, we examine how God is impressed not so much by what we give, but the heart by which we give. Because if the heart is right in how we give to God, then the what will naturally follow. I'll say that again. If the heart is right in how we give to God, then the what we give, the size of the gift, will naturally follow. We see, my brothers and sisters, from Mark 12, that giving God our best requires three things. The first thing is that giving our best to God requires that we put our faith into action. Point number two, giving our best to God requires that we give sacrificially. That we give sacrificially. Then third, giving our best to God requires that we give with gratitude for God's grace. And if we are missing any of these key ingredients to giving, we are missing out on God's very best. We are missing out on a life of complete and total surrender to him, to the glory of God. So let's go to our text in verse 41 of Mark 12. It says, and he, Christ, sat down opposite the treasury at the temple and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. You see, we must first understand that God pays close attention to our hearts when we give. He pays close attention after complaining about the Pharisees' hypocrisy and abuse of the widows in verse 38 of Mark 12. Christ uses a widow as an example of true worship in giving. He cares so much about this principle of giving that he sat down opposite the treasury to observe people, young and old, rich. And poor, he cared so much that he called his disciples over with him to witness this very moment. Could you imagine if Pastor Jonathan, during the offering, came down and began to walk the aisles, the rows, to examine your checkbook? (laughs) Examine your offering envelope? To see exactly what you were doing at the offering time. You would say, Pastor, Pastor Jonathan, get out of my purse. Get out of my wallet. What I decide to give to God is between me and God. How dare he be so nosy and pay such close attention in what I'm giving? He would get a lot of flack for that. Amen. <laughs> but I want you to know today, my brothers and sisters, that Jesus... He pays close attention. He's sitting down and he's watching us. He knows what's in our bank accounts. He knows what's in our checkbook. He knows what kind of idle time we are wasting. And he's sitting down and he's watching to see your heart's posture in how we give. He's not only the great physician, but yes, Jesus is the great accountant. You may say, Courtney, what I give, how I spend my time, that's between me and God. But just like that rich young ruler, our level of giving, or or lack thereof, exposes the idols in our hearts. Now, what do we know about the Jewish temple back here in, in Mark 12, which was under the law of Moses before Christ's resurrection? What do we know about the Jewish temple? We know that there were 13 receptacles shaped like trumpets in the temple that comprised the treasury. This was expected to take care of all the needs of the church, including the orphans and the widows. That's an important fact that we have to remember as we go study this text. There was no giving online. There's no texting to give or PayPal. (laughs) Trumpets number one and two were reserved for the half shekel, which amounts in modern days about 15 cents for a temple tribute, temple tax. They gave money to facilitate animal sacrifices for the atonement of sins. The money was stored in the temple treasury and was expended partly in the purchase of the daily sacrifices for incense and other materials used in the temple. Trumpet three was money for turtle doves for a sin offering. Trumpet four, money for young pigeons. Trumpet five, money for wood used in the temple. Trumpet six, money for incense. And trumpet seven, money for golden vessels used in the ministry. And if a man had put aside a certain sum of sin offering and money was left over after its purchase, it was cast into trumpets eight through 13, money left over for sin offerings. We must understand, my brothers and sisters, that the Jews gave money because it was required by Jewish law To purchase and use animal sacrifices to receive atonement for sin, for forgiveness. Accidental sin had to be atoned for. Intentional sin, adultery, murder, incest, blasphemy, that was guilty of death. But someone say, thank God for Jesus. Come on, say, thank God. Thank God for Jesus. Then Jesus came as that Perfect, sinless lamb. John the Baptist, he put it like this. He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because of Jesus, we no longer have to pay money for the church to offer sacrifices of animals to receive forgiveness. Even better, Jesus didn't prioritize or rank our sin, covering some but not others. No, but I'm so glad that Jesus paid it all. When he walked up that hill called Golgotha, I just got back from Israel not too long ago. And we saw the hill that Jesus was at where he cried out to Telestai. It is finished. I've paid for their sins once and for all. Anybody glad about that today? So now we don't have to give because it's required. Or under legalism or under compulsion but we give to show our appreciation our gratitude for God sending his son into this world to atone for our sins once and for all for while we were yet sinners Christ died for us so what should be our response what should be our response the Apostle Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7. He said, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now watch this. Each one of us, well, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful, a hilarious giver. You see, Jesus' full payment for our sins doesn't mean that we're not supposed to give anymore. We shouldn't give anymore. Rather, now it means that we have a far better reason to give. Jesus Christ saved us so that we can follow him and spread the gospel to the world. And he wants us to show enthusiastic, enthusiastically. Our appreciation for what he's done in our lives. And the more we know about him, the more we appreciate him, the more we give him glory in our giving. But some of us, my brothers and sisters, some of us are going in reverse. I'm reminded of a story about a man who was giving uh, large sums of money when he first accepted Christ. He was on fire for the Lord and he was giving $1,000 a month to the church. And and, and he was so enthusiastic in his giving, he let everybody know that I'm going to give, I'm going to surrender my heart to Jesus, and I'm going to make sure that I support the church in that effort. But then he confessed to his pastor. He said, Pastor, I'm starting to to, to wane in my giving. Even though I'm making more money now, I, I, I find myself struggling in this area. I don't give like I used to. Could you... Could you pray for me in this area? Pastor said, Sure, brother, I'll pray. Father, we thank you for this brother who was on fire for the Lord and giving so much to kingdom work. He has now confessed that he has waned in his giving, even though he's making more money now than he was when he first started. Lord, so I pray now that you would take him back to when he was making less money. He said, Wait, Pastor, don't pray that prayer. See, many of us, my brothers and sisters, are like this man. The longer we have been immersed in kingdom work and uh, in, in the church, we've we found ourselves becoming a little bit complacent, a little bit lackadaisical in our giving. But how many know the Lord wants us that, to be increasing in our capacity to give? The more we get to know him, the more we spend time to, with him in his word, the more we understand and place in proper context all that he's done for us and forgiving us. We should be growing in our capacity to give. Somebody say, amen. amen. And so, what is God looking for? Paul put it like this as each one has decided in his heart, Christ is looking for the right heart posture. He sat down opposite the treasury to see how the people were giving. He admonished us in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. We're just walking through these scriptures here. Jesus said to his disciples, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in. steal, For where your treasure is, there it is, there your heart will be also. We're we're storing up treasures in heaven. This is better than your 401k. This is better than your 403b. But we are giving to the kingdom of God. And how many know that only what we do for Christ is going to last? When we are able to give our treasure instead of keeping things to ourselves, we are letting God know where our help comes from. That we appreciate him for being our source for everything that we have. And we say, thank you, Lord, for being our source. Verse 41 says that Jesus began observing how the people were giving, how they were putting money in the treasury. And then the second part of 41 says, and many rich people... We're putting in large sums. You say, what's wrong with that, Pastor Coates? That sounds like a good church member to me. Rich people putting in large sums of money. We see here what best giving does not look like in Mark 12, verse 41. These people were giving large sums of money, but Jesus was not impressed by the size of their gift. Why? Because we know that they were giving with the wrong heart posture. They were giving for public recognition. We can serve the church. We can give large sums of money. We can dot every I and cross every T when it comes to stewardship. But God says, I'm not impressed by the size of your gift, the frequency of your gift. I'm only impressed by your heart's posture in giving. Jesus admonished the Jews in Matthew 6, 1 through 2, about this principle of giving with the wrong heart posture. Giving for public recognition. That's what they were doing. He says in, Mark, in Matthew 6, 1 and 2, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, verse two, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. There it is. So that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. See, giving our best to God does not seek public recognition. God's giving, God's principle of giving is a humble act. It's a reverent act. It's designed only to bring glory and honor to God. You see, when you give for the wrong reasons, when you serve for the wrong reasons, you're limiting your reward in heaven. You are limiting your reward to that hand clap that you're receiving, that that public recognition that you're receiving here on earth. But God wants us to give so that he only can get the credit. Give so that he receives all the glory, all the honor, and the praise. When we give in secret, when we give for the right reasons, God will reward us. He may not reward us here on earth but we have a heavenly reward that the scripture says in Peter that it's 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 a it's a heavenly reward it's an inheritance that is undefiled incorruptible and cannot fade away it's reserved in heaven for us someone say amen and so giving our best to God requires and we're going to get through these three points we put our faith into action. That's, that's the first requirement. We must put our faith into action. Giving is a byproduct of faith. It doesn't require a lot of money, but it does require faith. This widow was giving her last two copper coins because she had faith that God would take care of her no matter what. She had faith. What, what is faith? The writer of Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the evidence of things not seen. It is to believe that God will take care of us no matter what. And even though the Jewish leaders were abusing the widows, not taking good care of them like they should, this woman was still giving to the temple because she knew that God was her source. And she had faith that God would take care of her no matter what. And, and, and what's interesting is that God does not deal in dollars and cents. He does not deal with Benjamins and Jacksons and rubles and pesos and yen. No, he deals in faith. That is his currency. And we believe that God will take care of us no matter what. And one thing that Jesus recognized is that her faith was more valuable than the money that she put in. Our faith is more valuable than money. If what we're sowing To kingdom work, if what we're giving to the church is not complemented by faith, if, if if we don't require faith in our gift, then we're not giving God our best. If what we're sowing into kingdom work does not need faith to be mixed in with the gift, God does not value our gift. And we have something far more valuable than money to give. I'm reminded of uh, Peter and John on their way to the the temple, passing the gate called Beautiful in Acts 3 and 6, and the beggar was begging for alms, begging for money. And people walked past them and gave them some money, but they really didn't address this beggar's true need, this lame man's need. He truly needed his life to be changed. He truly needed to know Jesus. But Peter and John didn't have any money. They fixed their gaze upon him. And this man looked at them expecting to receive money. And what did Peter say? Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. I don't have silver and gold to give. I don't have money to give to you, but I have something far more valuable than money. I have Jesus to give you. And that's something that we have that doesn't require money to share. See, oftentimes we tend to mask our unwillingness to share with our neighbors the hope we have in Christ. We won't go to that faraway country and evangelize, but we'll send, put money on the situation, right? We won't go and share with our neighbors who may be in need, to hear the hope of Jesus, but we'll send money instead. Oftentimes, we mask our unwillingness to share with others by placing money. But how do we know that people need to, see, need to hear something more valuable than, than money? They need to hear about the hope we have in Jesus Christ, that Jesus came to lift us up from our circumstances. Allow us to walk in the newness of life before him. Amen. And so, God requires that we give in faith. Verse 43 says, This poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they put all in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned, all she had to live on. In other words, she gave sacrificially. Giving our best to God requires that we give Sacrificially, Jesus was impressed not by the size of the widow's gift, but the fact that she was willing to model for others just how God sacrificed for us. She didn't give out of her surplus. She gave her very last. And that's what God did for us in sending his son Jesus. I'm so glad That God didn't give to us out of his surplus. (laughs) You see, God didn't give to us out of his abundance. He could have given us wealth and popularity and spheres of influence. He could have given us a cattle upon a thousand hills. But no, none of that would have saved us from our sins. None of that would have bridged the gap between God and man. Because we were still separated. Because of our sin nature. So God, instead of giving out of his surplus, he lowered himself. He sent his only begotten son. Who came down 42 generations, wrapped himself in a body, clothed himself in the flesh of humanity. Was born in a manger and swaddling clothes. And although he was king of kings and lord of lords. He became a man of no reputation so that he might serve us and surrender himself for us. Second Corinthians eight and nine says, for, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. I'm so glad that God didn't withhold Jesus from us. I'm so glad that he paid the ultimate price, gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we would be would be saved and spend eternity with him. Giving God our best requires that we give sacrificially. And lastly, giving God our best requires that we show gratitude for God's grace. See, this widow didn't give out of compulsion or vanity, but she gave out of gratitude. For God's grace to her. You say, Pastor Coates, how how did she give out of gratitude? You see, this woman, although she was poor, although she was widowed, we have to understand that she was uniquely positioned to receive the benefits from the temple each and every day. Because of her status in the society, she could draw from this never-ending source of supply. She was not required to give. She was exempted from giving to the temple. Yet she was able to receive her daily provision each and every day from the temple. So she was giving to the source that was already providing for her each and every day. We have to understand, my brothers and sisters, that just like this Jewish widow, as followers of Christ, we are now uniquely positioned to receive the benefits from God that we can draw from him each and every day. Because of our status in God, God promises that no good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Because of our unique position in God, He says, Eyes have not seen, <laughs> ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for those whom He loves. Because of our status in God, He says, I will not, not leave you, I will not forsake you. I will continue to strengthen you in your walk, in your daily provisions. You don't have to worry about what you will eat or what you will drink. But you can draw on this never ending source that God has supplied to those who believe and trust in him. God is our source for everything. And we should have gratitude for his daily provision. His daily provision. We also must have gratitude because while we were yet yet sinners, Christ died for us. He saved us from a life of depravity, of hopelessness, of separation from Him. He relieved us from an enormous, insurmountable debt that we could not repay. And the greater the debt, the greater the gratitude we should have. Say that again. The greater the debt, the greater the gratitude we should have. I was reminded uh, when I was preparing this message many years ago, as a licensed attorney, I represented a chain of hotels in Los Angeles. And the owners of this hotel franchise got into some trouble. They did not pay certain liabilities, certain debts, And they asked me to come and represent them in federal court and state court many years ago in Los Angeles. And I took a look at the case and I found that there were some loopholes. There were some things that uh, uh, the creditors did not do in order to collect on this debt. And after three years of going back and forth in court with the authorities and with the creditors, we were able to get this debt completely removed off the books of this hotel franchise. And the family looked at me and said, Courtney, I don't, how did you do that? I said, I don't know. God is good. But they said, Courtney, if you ever need a hotel room, <laughs> if you ever need a place to stay when you're, in Los, when you're in Los Angeles, just give us a call. You can stay here for free. And, you know, I was practicing law in Los Angeles, so I would drive up from Temecula, that's where we live, and, uh, you know, traffic is really bad, and uh, sometimes I didn't want to go through that traffic in the middle, of the, in the early morning, so I would drive up there the night before. i called call them up, i say, can I stay there? And they let me stay there a few times, and after a few times, I started to feel guilty. I said, you know, I feel kind of guilty accepting this every time, uh, you know, can I pay you something? Can I just pay you something as a token of my my appreciation? They said, Courtney, you don't understand. An enormous debt has been taken off our books. This was an enormous burden upon our family. And we just want to thank you for your hard work. Would you just accept this as a token of, of appreciation for what you did for us? And that really resonated with me. The greater the debt, the greater the gratitude we should have. Think about where you were before you met Christ. Think about the debacles, the mistakes. Think about the poor decisions. Think about the path that you were on before you met Christ, before Jesus picked you up out of that pit, before he transformed your heart. Wash your slate clean. It reminds me of what Jesus did for this sinful woman in Luke chapter 7 as we begin to close here. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus invited a sinful woman to Simon the Pharisee's house. And he's there with these Pharisees and this sinful woman had been involved in all sorts of nefarious things. Jesus, discerning the hearts of the Pharisees, saw that they were looking down on this woman. This woman was so overwhelmed by the grace that Jesus showed him in inviting her to this dinner. She sat at his feet, began to weep uncontrollably, let down her hair, and began to anoint his feet with this expensive perfume, kiss his feet. Lavish upon him an amazing love that many had not seen. These Pharisees looked down upon this woman, Jesus, discerning the hearts of the Pharisees in Luke 7 and 40, presented this parable of the two debtors. I think this speaks to us when we talk about this principle of giving with a heart of gratitude. Verse 41 of Luke 7 says, A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water Have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. You see, my brothers and sisters, this places this principle of giving with a heart of gratitude in proper context. When we give to God, we must give with an appreciation that He has forgiven much when it comes to how we lived our lives. He has forgiven much and picking us up from where we were and lifting us up from our circumstances, drawing us out of a life that we were not pleased, pleasing to Him in, a life that was disconnected from Him. We must give with a sign of appreciation, saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you. For giving me hope that extends beyond this grave. For taking my sin and wiping my slate clean. For putting me on a path of new life in Christ. Abundant life. Lord, we say thank you today. Thank you for the opportunity to Do what you're calling for in the life of a believer. To be a good steward of your manifold grace and your manifold mercy. Lord, we thank you for reminding us of what you're calling for. That when we give, we must put our faith into action. That when we give, we must give sacrificially just as you gave and modeled for us how to give. And lastly, how to give with a heart of gratitude for all of your grace that you continue to supply each and every day for every sin, past, present, and future. Every sin of omission, every sin of commission, that you take our sin and you throw it into the sea of forgetfulness, never to return again. We love you today. And every time we give, God, we want to show you the depths of our love. For you love much. You forgave much. So now we give to you back a portion of what you've given to us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those who may not know you. Lord, I pray right now that you would allow someone to receive this word. This word would become uh, buried in their heart. That it will produce fruit and allow them to say, Lord, what must I do to receive your grace? Remind them today that all they need to do is confess you as Lord, repent of their sins, and commit their heart to you. Lord, we thank you and we bless you for your word today. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray and give thanks. Amen. God bless you.